Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. In all of the installments of Pitbull Stories, I have special guests who share their stories of what it was like to um, acquire a Pitbull type dog, to live with a Pitbull type dog, and kind of share their experience of how they worked through some of those stigmas and how they advocate for the breed now. I've been the proud owner of two blocky headed dogs and our current blocky headed dog, Waylon, is an American Staffordshire Terrier, and I know what it feels like to experience some of the stigmas that the world wants to throw at you, and my intention with this series is to reassure all of you amazing blocky-headed owners that our beloved pit bulls are amazing, and we can play a huge role in advocating for the breed. So please enjoy these episodes, and if you'd like to be a guest on Pitbull Stories, please send me a DM over on the Instagram at a feeling underscore NCO. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the po- podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. So um, I have a special guest today, and he doesn't have all Pitbulls per se, but he also has lots of uh, bully breed dogs in his care, and I really wanted to kind of get his perspective in this conversation. So uh, Jeremy, if you want to just inter- introduce yourself to the listeners and kind of tell us a little bit about um, of what you do. Um, okay, so my name is Jeremy Hall. I run a rescue called Benevolent Bully Rescue. Uh, it's been around for about six years. Uh, I've been involved with dog rescue for just over 10 years now. Uh, I was a volunteer with another rescue uh, previously called Homeward Bound Rescue. Um, I've been in training part-time uh, for eight years now. Um, and yeah, so I rescue all bully breeds uh, and brachycephalic breeds. Um, and the focus has kind of always been that, I, I guess naturally it was just my inclination to go towards these breeds. Uh, I've been a fan of like English Bulldogs were my first thing uh, since I was just like a toddler basically. So uh, that's where it started and, and Homeward Bound rescues Bulldogs. And then, yeah, I just sort of opened up from there. That is amazing. Okay. So, you know, like I was saying before, I really want to get your perspective on this because while pitbull type dogs obviously like make sensational headlines, I feel like all blocky headed dogs, right? All the the bully breeds, quote unquote bully breeds, I think face the same stigma. So that's why I really wanted to hear from you in this conversation. So I want to kind of backtrack. So an English bulldog is kind of what started it all for you when you were young. Yes. Yeah. That was my first sort of love or passion. Um, not the dogs I grew up with. We, we had um, a beagle mix, a Alaskan Malamute, and uh, briefly Goldens um, as, as kids. But uh, forever, I wanted an English Bulldog. And then in my early 20s, I uh, actually went ahead with that and got myself some Bulldogs. And then, yeah, getting into rescue is what opened it up because Homeward Bound... Um, sort of rescued boxers and some mastiffs and bulldogs so then it started to open up my uh interest into the rest of the bully breeds so yeah 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 so i want to hear about your early english bulldogs did you have one two what were their names Uh, i had two so my first was zeus Uh, i got him from a pet store which was a nightmare but um he was partially blind partially deaf uh, we found that out a couple months into uh, having him um, and I ended up going back and getting a second six months later because their 
whole thing was either I could um, give back the puppy, which I'd had for like three, four months at that point. And basically they told me they would euthanize him. Um, or I could get half price off another puppy. So <laughs> of course I went with the extra puppy. Um, yeah, so then when I had them for about two years, I started looking into Bulldogs and, and just sort of heard about adopting. And it was just coincidentally, there was a local uh, rescue was just for Bulldogs. So uh, yeah, but uh, my first guy was Zeus. And my second, who was the one I got because of Zeus, uh, his name was Rocky. Um, Rocky is actually the logo for my impeccable business. Um, and funny enough, so he was pretty typical uh, at the, around 18 months, two years, started to develop sort of behavioral issues. Uh, well, they manifested, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, so I ended up going through some less than good trainers. Uh, and that's what pushed me into training. Uh, eventually too uh, I started to do my own sort of studying and research and so on and so forth and and uh, saw there was a lot of flaws in some of the stuff I had been taught by people um, but yeah Rocky and Zeus were my first two English Bulldogs and uh, yeah they've um, I still love English Bulldogs and I probably will eventually get back to having just an English um, but uh, the health issues are definitely a real deal with them um, so you got to be really careful where, like, if you're going to get a puppy, really research the breeders and make sure they have healthy bloodlines and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a bummer, right? But it's it's the norm that English yeah. bulldogs pretty historically have a lot of health difficulties. And then if they're not coming from very ethical breeders, then it just has a whole nother host of that. So, yeah, um, so I, I want to just, I want to kind of like go back in time. So what did your community think of you with these English bulldogs when you were just, when you were in your twenties, you're saying? Yeah. Um, they were pretty well received. I think bulldogs just because they tend to look cute, um people don't understand that they were a working dog and, and what their actual like bull baiting what that was all about um so they don't really see the original tenacity which you see a lot more with like the old english victorian whatever bulldogs now um but yeah they're they're pretty well received because everyone just thinks they're like cute little teddy bears but they don't understand that there is quite a tenacity to um their temperaments um but yeah, I, I never really had to deal with much as far as like stigma or anything like that when it comes to them. Um, mostly, if anything, it was, it was the opposite in, in trying people to have people respect their space and not want to just come and cuddle them and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it, there wasn't too much of an issue with them as far as yeah, it wasn't until I adopted my first um, bull mastiff. Well, he was a papered bull mastiff, but didn't really look he kind of looked like he might have been a bull mastiff in a corso cross um that's when i started to see all the different things that people will cross the road and they'll do all of the things uh basically think that you have a, a pet bear or a tiger or something like that um but yeah uh, that was when i really started to notice the difference in, in how things are perceived and how people treat you or them especially but yeah how you're um looked at i guess yeah it's interesting i feel like just the smaller package of the english bulldog is more 
I don't know, I guess palatable for people, right? Yeah. Like it's not as intimidating. So they're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> and um, the wrinkly bits and all that too, right? I think that, yeah, like you said, the packaging is what sells it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so in your early training with um, with the Bulldogs, uh, was it just like like old school dominance based or what did that look like? So basically it was like, the first person was Caesar Milan type of stuff. Uh, and yeah, like pack and alpha and dominance and all this sort of stuff. And the second one was basically the same. Um, um, I don't know, am I allowed to use oh, yes. franchises? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Bark Busters was the second one. Um, and that literally just excited him having things thrown and like little the, the little noise things that they tell you to throw in their direction it, basically he thought that was a game um <laughs> so anyways it, it did nothing at best <laughs> um but yeah that was after the dam i really felt like this uh was something i needed to look into a lot more myself so i ended up doing a lot more research then and and luckily um between the lady who ran homeward bound rescue at the time uh, well she founded it and and ran it um she steered me towards ian dunbar uh so that was a, a big step in the right direction and then uh when i ended up taking the course through animal behavior college you get to pick your mentor trainer and i happened to just out of sheer luck pick a lady who was completely force free. Um, she had worked in rescue with Border Collie Rescue in Ontario. Um, and yeah, I just lucked out as far as who my mentor trainer was because she gave me um, the first book she put me onto was uh, Two Rodriguez uh, Calming Signals. And that was a huge one because I it went against everything like we you see on the, the Caesar Milan and all that sort of stuff as far as their body language and understanding it all so that was a big eye-opener because um, it was completely contradicting everything right that at that point so I was like wait this this there, I had to dig deeper into it I guess right to understand more so that was yeah that was a huge thing and it, I think it was just sheer luck because so many people get steered in the wrong direction right off the bat and feel like that's what it has to be um, so I just got lucky as far as who I got mentored by i guess oh my god okay seriously the tenacity of english bulldogs made you realize <laughs> that like the putative training wasn't really effective and that's what made you look something else that brings me so much damn joy and i know people listening who have english bulldogs are like uh-huh because you know and i think that that's why like the like dominance based like aversion based training has stuck around so long because we have so many fucking hardy dogs that will be like oh you threw a penny can at me whatever you know what i mean <laughs> like it gives them like yeah see they're not afraid you know like i i feel like that tenacity in dogs definitely uh is why people like want to get away with it you know what i mean yeah yeah, well, and that's like, that's what kind of sparked my passion with it. Once I started to actually, when, like, be men, the mentee and learn some of this stuff, I started to see that, especially because, like, my, my mentor, she was with Border Collies, and I saw how much more that's, like, well-received it, it was, and it was almost like, oh, but that's only that community, right? Um, at the time, anyways. So it really made me feel like, why can't that be 
this community because it was like everywhere you look everyone had prong collars on or shot collars whatever um and it was like it was like a mandate if your dog was in this category they're supposed to be treated this way and somehow these other dogs are fine to be that way and um just didn't make sense to me so um and then yeah like i went to an ian dunbar seminar and he was talking about his american bulldog and then that sort of resonated with me i was like wow this is great it's great to hear that there is um not only opportunity but but it's like there really is no difference right it, it should they should all be treated the same way but, yeah absolutely absolutely and i love that it was border collies you're like okay if we're treating these border collies like this we could totally do this with the blocky headed dog yeah okay so you had your two english bulldogs and then um can you kind of walk us through what the the dogs coming into your life um to current day look like now <laughs> um, <laughs> you've had a lot of we, dogs huh? if we're including fosters this is going to take a really long time but um <laughs> okay so there was um, uh, my ex at the time. We had a pug as well with the two English bulldogs. Uh, his name is Ernie, um, and he was just a little low-key sort of court jester pug, like typical pug, I guess. Um, then there was Gus, who was the uh, brindle, kind of corso-looking bull mastiff. Um, he was my first actual adopted dog. Um, and that was an interesting little bit of a journey too, because so Rocky, who was my dog, who I ended up seeking out trainers for, um, he had issues uh, from an altercation that happened with a, an actual Corso, um, where the, they were playing tug on a stick and then the Corso went, dropped it and just went at him. So then the rest of the, my time with him, any giant brindle dogs, he had um, an automatic sort of uh, insecurity about. So it was interesting bringing Gus into the home because there was a whole lot of management and uh, um, segregation and rotation and all this sort of stuff in order to sort of work that into being a livable um, space, which is something I still have to do a lot of um, between fosters and even the dogs that I have. Um, the joys of reactive dogs yeah, uh, yeah. so much thought and planning and management that <laughs> goes into it but um, anyway so there was Gus uh, he was an amazing amazing dog he came with a bite history on a child that if the story was correct um, was basically a couple kids were antagonizing him he was on a chain and they were sort of poking at him and whatever and I guess one got too close and he nipped at the kid um which was strange because after I got him I was very careful because of that uh, as far as his exposure to even meeting children but um started with my niece and nephew and um he ended up being just a wonderful like his temperament was uh, insane um it was amazing uh unfortunately he only was with me i think just under two years he ended up having a brain tumor in passing um so from there um less than a month after he passed i uh babysat uh, dog sat um <laughs> another foster's pug at the time who is now my kira so that long weekend turned into do you just want to take over fostering and i was like sure and then a month later she had blended in 
with the rest of my crew so well that I was just like, well, she, this is super easy. She loved everything, every dog, every person she met. So Kira ended up being my next addition. Um, and she, who is right behind me here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Carly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this little one, um, she's now in a wheelchair. I'll put you down. I know. She has a cyst on her spine. She's 11, 10 or 11 years old. We don't know for sure, but she was the next addition. Um, and she's been basically just an all around amazing foster sister, everything. She's been good with every person and every dog. And, um, and she's hilarious. She just oh. has the funniest. The noises that come out of her are, you, they're not even from this world really. Um, you may even hear some while we're talking. <laughs> it usually has some sort of an input to everything, either snoring or making just little gremlin noises. But um, anyway, so after Kira, then there was Gia. Uh, and Gia was probably the best or most deepest whatever connection I've ever had with an animal was with Gia. She was my second bull mastiff. Uh, I adopted her, she was a year and a half, um, came from a situation where her um, guardian had just gone into remission from cancer and basically was trying to, um, I guess, simplify her life a little bit. And her previous bull mastiff, she had had uh, to do uh, double cruciate surgeries. So she had paid like $30,000 in surgeries. Um, Anyways, um, so I ended up getting Gia and she came with a heart condition, uh, subaortic stenosis. So the diagnosis for that, or the prognosis for that, sorry, with a large breed is usually about four years old. Um, basically, it's when they get too excited, the, the blood doesn't pump through the heart properly and it pools into the lungs. And then the less blood there is, the harder the heart has to work. And basically, the, the heart can explode from strain if they get too far with it so um i kind of did i don't know if it's the right thing or whatever it ended up working out fine um i always just let her go at her own pace uh and i i don't necessarily think that's the best thing but when i had her before i, I didn't just do that from day one um after i'd had her for a few months i realized that anytime she would start to get too exhausted she just would lay down even if we were like out on a walk or whatever so um, I did sort of let her regulate as far as that went. And I never obviously tried to push her too hard. Um, I think I exercised her more than what they may have recommended, but I always also thought strengthening her heart as opposed to living like a sedentary life would possibly be beneficial to her. Um, so yeah, she ended up living, um, till seven and a half, um, she actually passed because of osteosarcoma, not her heart. Her heart, after four years old, actually never even uh, deteriorated when every year we did checks. And uh, it actually, I think, even improved just like from a grade four to a grade three. Um, so that, amazingly, was never the issue, which I was sure would be her demise. But, um, but yeah. Gia was, uh, again, um, a Mastiff with a really special temperament. Uh, I ended up doing therapy with her, uh, taking her to a women's shelter, a homeless youth shelter, and then like a juvenile correctional facility. Um, and 
trying to, again, use the, the breed thing to help break down some of the stigma um, because she, the same thing, she loved everything, even uh, other types of animals that she met she was great with like little pigs and cats and um i'm oh not God, sure what else <laughs> yeah yeah she she loved everything so um i tried to utilize that uh, like every dog i have i try to see what they're into and sort of let them have an outlet for it and for her literally being social was her thing so um i tried to take her everywhere i could with me and and let her get that because she loved attention and she loved to be a part of anything social. So um, that's why I went with the therapy route because I figured it utilizes what she's into and also maybe helps other people's days get a little nicer. So, And playing to the dog's strengths, right? That's what it's all about, right? And like all these conversations I've had around like breaking down stigmas and helping people understand dog body language, what it really boils down to is us as human beings advocating for our individual dogs. And I love so much that like she did love that sociability. So you were able to take her all of those places. So in her therapy work, did you encounter people who were a little like worried at first and then like realized who she was and you, you yeah. just completely changed their minds? A hundred percent. Especially I found at um, the women's shelter because a lot of times there was toddlers like, or even like baby babies. Um, they would be like, oh, like they're expecting, I guess, a much smaller dog for the therapy dog. Um, and then you get a 120 pound girl sitting there and she had a big blocky head, right? So um, so often, yeah, it'd be, uh, it, well, and the kids too, right? A lot of times she was bigger than them. So you get a lot of hesitation at first, um, but she was very intuitive in the fact that uh, if a kid was very excited, she would just kind of lay down and this wasn't, I wouldn't ask her to do these things. She would just do them. Um, and if, if they were kind of unsure, she would try to be like more playful with them. So she was, she was just really good at knowing what the situation sort of called for or, or how to, to stabilize it, I guess. Um, yeah, I wish I could say it was all like great training, but it was <laughs> more <laughs> intuition on her part. So, Yeah. Oh my God. And that's so beautiful, right? That like, you just get to help support her and what she's already freaking good at. Yeah. 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 Well, it was the easiest thing in the world, right? Like she, she wasn't afraid of anything. So like even doing all the testing for, to get approved for therapy, um, it was a walk in the park. Cause she literally like, uh, my mom was in uh, a wheelchair near the end because of Huntington's. And so she had exposure to that. So like there was, it just kind of worked out, I guess. Oh my so. God, I love that so much. And like therapy work is so meaningful and powerful in so many ways, but I feel like there's just like this special twinge in my heart when it's like a giant blocky headed dog doing the work. You know what I mean? Like yeah. seeing Goldens yeah. in labs doing therapy work. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know you're amazing. Standard, right? yeah. But it's like yeah. <laughs> seeing some of the like, I guess, non-traditional breeds doing therapy work is so freaking cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And uh, there's actually, um, so I ended up making that part of my own rescue near the end with her. But the, the organization that I did it through, Therapy Tales, they actually had a couple of bully breeds um, also there, which I thought was really cool because I had, hadn't seen that with some of the other organizations that do it. It was all, like you said, the pretty standard um, handful of breeds that were doing it. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So there was Gia um, and who came after her? Oh, okay. So then... After Gia, would it be Bodhi? 
Um, Bodie is now an almost 12 year old old English bulldog. He came to me, he was the last dog I took from Homer Bound Rescue. Um, he had had a whole plethora of bites on record prior to me. I, I opted to foster him because he was in a basically a this or that situation. He had to either get out of there or else. Um, so I did. And then when I had him, I sort of understood that he wasn't going to like, if he went to another home, it, it would be his eventual demise because he was just a lot to handle. And most people aren't looking for that. Um, not that I necessarily was, but I also knew I could probably, I guess, deal with it. Um, so yeah, Bodie's been the most difficult dog I've had overall. Um, there's a lot of things that in the last couple of years and, and doing more studies, I realized I could have probably helped him a lot, like supported him so much more in the beginning. Had I known uh, things like medication, understanding the stress levels and trigger stacking and, and just thresholds, everything else like that. Um, so many things things I didn't understand with him and I thought basically just operant would be enough like you know that they that they can override some of this stuff but um yeah anyways didn't understand a lot of that at the time I did the best I could um and but he's been definitely the most challenging dog I have because he's on and off dog reactive uh, across the board he, he can be okay in certain situations, but he can also be people reactive. Like he's had a lot of, uh, I think he's had like five or six bites on humans um, prior to me. And he hasn't bit in anyone else since being with me. Um, but anyways, uh, so Bodhi was next. That's a little bit about him. Um, there, Those there is, there's though. a, that's crazy. How, like, <laughs> Owning a dog with those capacities, like that's no small fucking feat. And especially when it's in a package like that, right? Like, oh, no pressure. You just have this really strong, powerful dog who could bite a person or a dog. So good luck. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. He was, I, I like, so Rocky, but my first dog that I had sought out training, I kind of learned um, the dog dog reactivity from him. And he would, he would, um, like air snap at people if if they tried to be forceful with him in certain situations um he was really responsive to me and that's uh i think mostly because with all my dogs especially in the beginning i've been the one who does all the good things with them i do all the walking hiking training feeding everything right so uh i'm sure that is probably why he was more responsive to me and not other people um but so then, yeah, Rocky was my introduction to sort of reactivity, uh, mostly dog. And then, yeah, Bodhi was just my sort of master class of all of the things. Um, and um, yeah, so there's like, there's lots of great things about Bodhi. So he is actually um, a very sweet dog. He's actually very sensitive, which obviously a lot of the times the reactive dogs are. Um, if you can comfort them, they are, they have a whole other side to give you. Um, but typical, well, I think he is more of a, um, bully type and a bulldog mixed. Um, he has a very bulldog head, but 
a lot of his other like just mannerisms and body uh, frame I guess are he's more longer and leaner um, and if you put him beside my older guy who is a bully mix um, they have very similar body structure um, it's just literally one looks like a bulldog in the head and the other one doesn't but uh, anyways yeah he's he's really actually um, fun to train with he is super motivated um, well he's old now but when he was younger he uh, he loved to play and he worked so well for food uh, well and toys anything really um, but yeah, so he, he had a lot of upside. Yeah, but he also requires a lot more understanding too. Um, so Bodie then came Shy, who I just mentioned before. Shy is a bully type who I got through um, a shelter um, local. Uh, there was him and another one that were found astrays. They needed to uh move basically out of the shelter uh i took them a friend of mine from another rescue took one of them i took the other um and when i met shy he anyone who he was um uh, strange to he would um stay the length of a lead like a six foot lead he would keep at the very end of it he didn't want to be close to people hence the name shy um he, he was in no way reactive but he just was very timid um so I ended up uh, taking him with the intention of him going to move to another shelter. Um, but when I got to meet him, I was really concerned about how he would present in a shelter, even though he's a super sweet dog. Um, I didn't think he would ever really warm up to people. Um, so I ended up keeping him um, for safety's sake, also because I was a little bit concerned that the shelter he was going to, it worked on a population basis like they all do. So if he didn't show well in there or present well and no one adopted him, then eventually there would come a push of um, dogs coming in, the need to take up spaces and so on and so forth. So um, the, the easy part was after like a day or two with me, he was Velcro um, and super sweet dog. Uh, got along great with all like he had some of the best dog aside from Gia probably the best dog dog skills that I've had of any of my fosters or anything um, he's very very tolerant and um, he's very forgiving of a lot of rude stuff which is important because in your life, right, you're probably getting quite a few dogs who do some rude shit. So if you can yeah. have one dog yeah. that can tolerate that, that just makes your yeah. job that much easier. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, right now I'm at a point because he's older and uh, Gia being gone that I have a handful of, well, I have three reactive old English bulldogs and then the other two are Shy and Kira who are seniors who are in their twilight and very much like like I said, Kira has a cyst on her spine and Chai had a stroke last summer. So I got the seniors home going uh, with, with Bodie included in that mix too. So, um, but yeah, you miss the, the dogs that uh, balance it all out a bit, you know, uh, but such a, such is life, I guess. Wow. So I want to just circle back to what you were saying about um, your concerns about shy at the shelter, because I think mm -hmm. this is something that's real and it's happening. And I don't know, I don't always think it's malicious, but 
let's be honest, right? If you have this giant dog with a blocky head, and even if they are stressed, if they present in any way aggressive, that really just kind of shoots them to the top of the euthanasia list, which isn't right or fair, but it is a reality, right? And like, I think that, you know, like there are dogs in different packages who maybe could get away with it and they wouldn't face euthanasia, but um, I feel you. I feel you on that gut feeling of like, I don't know if we're going to survive the shelter evaluation. Yeah. Well, and I think if I didn't have the couple days with him, because that's when the transport was set for, if it would have been a same day deal and I had not gotten to, to see what he's like after 12 hours with me, um, that as soon as he knows he's safe, he was a different dog, but uh, he's a, he's like, a, again, a sensitive dog. So put him in a stressful situation and he's going to want no part of being around people or anything. So it's hard for an adopter to walk in and be like, this dog doesn't want anything to do with me. Yeah. I'll take him. Right. Um, Cause it, they're not going to know what that's like at home. Um, but yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. I always try and trust my gut as much as uh, I can when it comes to these guys, especially when it's what I feel could be a life or death call. Um, I try to err on the side of caution, even if it sort of puts me in a <laughs> tougher spot, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when, okay. So when did you decide to do your own thing as far as your rescue goes? Um, okay. So I was with them for five years and then the director, Kathy, who she ended up getting ill basically suddenly and, and, um, her kidneys failed, I believe, and then, um, turned like septic. Uh, and she ended up passing in like a, 24 hour span it was kind of crazy um and i was really close with her uh it was a pretty tight-knit group as far as the rescue goes but i was i was directly close with her because she owned a kennel at the time and um i worked in trades so i'd be away eight or nine months of the year but then in my winters i would just go and even like basically work there for free sometimes and spend as much time as I could either walking. Like that's how I met Bodhi first. Uh, he was with her for like six months. So I, the reason he came to me is because he, um, you know, I had developed a bond from my visiting him all the time, but yeah. So I used to spend all my free time there at the kennel and learning. Uh, that was about the time I was starting the dog training uh, program too. So I was just trying to get as much experience and everything as I could. Um, so when she passed, it's uh it kind of became a different vibe, I guess. And I just sort of felt like I stepped back and left rescue altogether for, I think it was like four or five months. And I'd always had a long-term goal of like retirement age of possibly like rescuing dogs or whatever. Um, and then something just pushed me to, to go ahead with it. Um, and yeah, then my own, uh, it just sort of all happened. Um, a lot more, <laughs> I think I, I bit off more than I could chew in a lot of ways. I had no idea what I was in for. Um, but at the same time, the only way to really experience a lot of things is to just do it. Right. So, um, once it got going, then even still, I'm still trying to figure out the best ways to do things so that people, um, and the dogs especially are my main concern, but I, so that I can get people committed to investing what, what, it really means to be a good guardian for your dog. Right. Um, so I, I, it's been a constant evolution and I'm still in the process right now of trying to like optimize my 
procedures as far as how can I do this so that people get what they need, the dogs get what they need, and, and I'm comfortable so that, you know, um, you don't end up having dogs go out and come back. I mean, obviously it happens that there's no such thing as uh, like no, uh, perfect situations, uh, especially when a lot of the dogs do have behavioral issues. Um, so um, I've gotten to a point where I'm pretty comfortable with it though. Um, nice. it, it's basically now just, I've switched my procedures to try to do everything in trial adoptions. Um, so that the people that you're doing the training with as opposed to fosters are the ones that are going to be keeping the dog generally means they're going to be more invested in doing the training um, as well as um, less homes for the dog as far as their stress levels go all that sort of stuff um, it, it's been working a lot better and and um, a whole bunch of other things I've sort of learned along the way to try and make it better but yeah, yeah. So for everyone listening, um, can you, you're based in Ontario, right? Yeah, the greater Toronto area of Ontario. Um, yeah, we basically pulled a lot from a lot of the Toronto shelters, um, the local municipal shelters, there's owner surrenders. Uh, for a long period of time, we were taking a lot of overflow dogs from the Quebec bordering shelters. Um, but yeah, basically that that's sort of where we pull from and then where we adopt back into. Yeah. So do you feel like a lot of adopters are attracted to y'all because they like love mastiffs and, and bulldogs and pugs and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. You get, there seems to be a very specific bully crowd, I guess, um, which is good. Um, obviously it's good to have interest, uh, but at the same time when we were talking about uh, sort of the predisposed ideals of what the training and behavior and all that sort of stuff so there's a lot of conflicting stuff that I have to deal with all the time um, and it, as far as I know I'm the only bully rescue that is force free um, so you're a uh, unicorn is what you're saying it, well <laughs> it, it's not even that it, it's more just like it, it's uncharted waters because um definitely have to feel like walking i mean all rescues no matter what your breed to do force free is still the sort of less common um but yeah when it comes to the bully breeds it's you're walking alone on a lot of the stuff because a lot of people still resort back to uh either what they're calling balanced or just strictly punitive um so uh, yeah, it, and even like, so you end up getting adopters who have adopted from other bully rescues or other whatever. Um, they're just previous having them and then coming with their uh, mentality <laughs> that they've had from before and trying to break through that and and help people understand the dogs better and what that what they're really dealing with and, and what behavior is that they're actually trying to achieve instead of that they're trying to be this that or the other thing um usually just need a different sort of attention or understanding right so um yeah there's it's a lot of extra work in in more on the people side of just trying to get people to see it differently i guess yeah and it's it's so interesting because i find this so much in like the pitbull community but i think just the blocky headed community that even 
enthusiasts, right? People who've owned the breed or mixed breeds for so long, they still have this, they're stubborn, they're hard headed. Um, they could drag you down. It's like this weird internalization that people do and justify in their mind that like, I'm, you know, and it's, I don't, I don't want to shame people because, you know, I understand that like, yes, there are giant dogs who could pull you down, but it, it's shifting, right? Like, and I commend you because I feel like the mindset shift that you are trying to encourage people to go to, I think is a little bit more stark than just like the average, like dog owner mindset. And yeah, it, it's, it's great to see like the, the success stories as far as the people side are more rare, I guess, but the, there's been a few um, adopters and fosters that I've had who came from that, that understanding and to see their journey, like even with some of my foster dogs, uh, to see them come to understand conditioning and just understanding what the motive of the dog was and, and just to see that the shift is probably my favorite like it's equal with the happiest ending for any dog and you just see the dog living with an amazing owner and like having a great life to see someone shift is just as rewarding as it is to know that that dog just found an amazing home right um but yeah those are probably my two favorite things about the rescue process so far yeah that's amazing so as far as like uh, your adoption process goes if you don't mind sharing just a little bit more about this do you do you try to like have it in the contract that they can't use methods? Do you find that that's not an effective way to change behavior? Like what has your experience been like with that? So even previously when I was on a foster, then just into a straight adoption and then trying to support the adoption, um, I did have it in my contracts. I've always had that uh, you know, no aversive tools. So no prongs, shocks, chokes, um, anything like that. Um, obviously I can't monitor that really beyond the contract, but I try to, uh, even before tried to stay in touch with everyone, um, and offer support so that instead of feeling like they maybe were on an Island by themselves, that they were still a lifeline and I could, um, either offer myself or, uh, at least the, 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 education or the knowledge to say books or trainers in their area or whatever it is i've always tried to support people um to go in the, the direction of educating themselves um now that i'm doing trial adoption i'm i'm just trying to get up to the pre-approval process so that i'm going to have people come and do their um, applications and obviously this is where it's going to get a little interesting because usually people want to adopt a very specific dog right that they see the picture of um, but this way I'm going to do pre-approval um, and have them already have come through some of the basics of understanding uh, as far as how dogs learn all that and even working once they get a dog working with us during the trial adoption which is something we do now with the trial adoptions is we'll get them up to where the dog has basically the same as puppy basics they have their basic training and then work on the specific issues any dogs have um, that way at the time of adoption they're at the point of comfort and then hopefully you know that that dog is 
settled safe and not going to need more later um so uh yeah what i'm trying to work out is getting pre-approval which will be um all the applicants coming and doing a little bit of work first uh via like zoom and um getting their, some education and sort of us being able to see that they understand to a certain degree and then once they get the dog then we can work on the actual dog part of the training um but yeah that that should hopefully alleviate a lot of um extra work i was doing uh because uh the rescue has generally been myself and one other person for uh the first three four years uh and then the last year or so i've taken on a lot more volunteers um but uh as far as training and everything else goes i've done it all myself uh and with limited time working in trades and stuff uh it was getting to be super exhausting trying to keep up with dogs hours away in different directions and so on and so forth so this way should hopefully help um all parties including myself um but yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Right. And I know that a lot of people listening are in rescue. Right. And I know that um, there's so much compassion fatigue involved in an industry of that nature, um, especially when you're adding in blocky headed packages. And then we're talking about like shifting people's mindset to force free training. So good for you. Right. For setting up that process and that procedure so that um, your dogs and your adopters are getting what they need, but it's not costing you <laughs> your sanity. <laughs> Exactly. That's the, the hope anyway, right? Um, when it works out well, it's nice. It, it's um, a lot of things have been falling in place in the last little while. So I feel like I, I am finally hitting my stride and going in the right direction. Um, just as far as getting aligned with other local trainers that are great. Um, and the people that are volunteering. Um, it's just finally feels like uh, it's going in the, the place I've always wanted it to go. So that's amazing. So what do you envision in the future for the rescue? Um, I would like to, sorry, have um, basically I, I have a behavior team right now, which is just a few of us. Um, I would like to have uh, as many people that are aligned um, and either willing to be educated or already are accredited and educated. Um, on the team, uh, I really could care less if I'm, if, if I was the least educated, I would be super happy about that because then <laughs> I have so much to learn. Um, if, if that's the case, that's wonderful. But I'd like to have a whole team that all understands and is pushing towards the same goals, which is helping, um, helping change the idea of rescue, helping change the idea of the bully breeds, um, and just like what it means to, to do things thinking of your dog first and, and just learning about their motivations and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, my vision is to have everybody on or in the rescue be sort of on the same page. We all are pushing towards that same goal, which is like the whole community that we are with the force free. It's the same thing. I just want to have a force free rescue that puts behavior and understanding of it first. Um, and I've always been one that, um, I don't want to push numbers. I'm not rescuing to try and save them all. Um, it's a lovely ideal, but it's impossible. Um, so 
I have settled for the fact that I'm just going to try and do the best I can with the dogs that I take uh, and make the biggest difference I can with those dogs. Um, so yeah, uh, as many people as I can get on the, the same page with that, that's, that's sort of what I want. And, and it would be nice to be able to do bigger numbers if we have the amount of people that can support that, that would be great. Um, but yeah, just to, to sort of, I guess, help change some minds would be wonderful um, and keep changing the lives for the dogs that I do take. Oh my God, that's a beautiful mission. So thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was such an amazing conversation. So for everyone listening, can you tell them the best place to connect with you if they want to support the rescue, they want to just follow along, where's the best place to find you? Okay, so the rescue, uh, our website is benevolentbullyrescue.com. Um, we're also on Instagram at Benevolent Bully Rescue. Uh, we have a Facebook page, same thing, Benevolent Bully Rescue. Uh, my training is Impeccable Dog Services on Facebook and Impeccable Dogs on Instagram. And my own account is at Bully24, uh, B-U-L-L-I-E 24 on Instagram. Um, if you want to see my own dogs. <laughs> Which you do because they're all so adorable. Oh my God. Okay. And then I'll be sure to link up all that stuff in the show notes. So it's super easy for people to find you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me, you could leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts to help more like-minded individuals find us.